0: Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann, and no doubt, you know that news about COVID-19, the illness caused by the new coronavirus, is moving fast. Thousands of new cases are being identified every day in the US, including all 50 states, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and Guam, along with thousands more worldwide. Healthcare workers are working hard to take care of patients, researchers are striving for a vaccine, and leaders around the world are asking people to stay home to stop the spread of the virus. Maybe you know someone who's sick or even have some symptoms you're not sure about, or you're staying home to try to help flatten the curve and slow down the pandemic. Today, we're talking about all of those COVID-19 concerns. Our guest is WebMD's Chief Medical Director, Dr. Michael Smith. Dr. Smith, thanks for your time today.
1: I'm Great to be here.
0: I want to note for our listeners that we are recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, March 24th. That's important to keep in mind since news about this pandemic changes regularly. Uh, But we have a lot to cover today. Let's start with people who are at high risk from COVID 19. Then we'll talk about things you should do and should not do to stay safe. And then we want to get your tips on staying healthy day to day during this disruptive time. Um, But first question for you scientists have found that. People may be at higher risk if they have some kinds of medical conditions. For instance, studies of people in China and Italy showed that higher percentages of those who were hospitalized or died from the virus had high blood pressure. It's a very common condition, right? So what exactly do studies like that tell us?
1: Yes, that's right. So I'm gonna share a few numbers with you just to help you understand why we're really looking closely at high blood pressure. So from the data that we have from China and Italy, which were obviously hit before us with the virus, it looks like up to 50% of people were sick enough to go to the hospital. Those people had high blood pressure or another chronic medical condition. Now, 99% of those who died had one of these conditions. 76% had high blood pressure. So there seems to be a link between having high blood pressure and more serious symptoms of coronavirus. Now, of course, people who are more severely affected tend to be older, and older people tend to have high blood pressure and other medical problems, but there is a concern that there is something in particular about having high blood pressure that predisposes people to be more severely affected. So the question is why, we're not quite sure, but a couple of possibilities are that the virus can damage the heart both by causing more stress on the system and making the heart work harder, and people with high blood pressure al- already have extra stress on their heart, or that there's something about the virus that is directly damaging the heart. Now, another theory is about common blood pressure medicines called ACE inhibitors in ARBs, that they may specifically worsen symptoms. There's no solid evidence of this, but just by how they work, they may increase receptors on the cells that the virus attaches to. More receptors could equal a stronger reaction to the virus. So for all these reasons, we do consider someone with high pressure to be at high risk. But, and you'll hear me say this repeatedly, everyone, absolutely everyone should be taking special precautions to avoid the virus. But those with high blood pressure and and other chronic medical conditions need to be extra, extra careful.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned ACE inhibitors and ARBs, um, because I know that people who are taking those medicines might be extra concerned that they're, you know, but just by taking their medicine, that they're putting themselves at risk somehow. But just to clarify, you should definitely talk to your doctor before you Decide to stop taking those medicines, or if you have concerns about them, you should speak to your doctor before you just take any make any changes to your medication.
1: Absolutely, and as of now, because there's real no, no real evidence of any harmful effect, no one is actually recommending that anyone stop these medications. There are a lot of benefits to these medications, not just for high blood pressure, but for people with diabetes, et cetera. So, absolutely, work with your doctor. But right now, there's really no strong indication you should stop them at all.
0: Okay. Uh, What about other health conditions that could put someone at an increased risk? And do we know anything about why that would happen? Obviously, if you have a condition like asthma, that connection seems kind of obvious. But what are some of the others?
1: Yeah, so for instance, people with cancer, especially those on chemotherapy, are a concern because the chemo weakens the immune system, obviously making it harder to fight off infections. People with lung disease, like you mentioned, asthma, but also COPD or emphysema, Also, a big concern because the virus most directly affects the lungs. That's why when people have shortness of breath, that's an ultimate concern because those people are more at risk of developing pneumonia. So anyone whose breathing is already an issue is a particular concern. Also, those with heart disease, because any infection, especially a potentially severe one like COVID-19, stresses the body and the heart has to work harder to do its job. But people with heart disease, may just not have the reserve in their heart it takes to work harder. And diabetes is another concern as it can suppress the immune system as well. So really any condition that weakens the immune system, other examples would be someone with AIDS, not necessarily HIV when their condition is well controlled, but people who actually have signs of a suppressed immune system like AIDS or, or people who are on biologic medications for autoimmune dis- disorders because those medications suppress the immune system as well.
0: Okay, and is that regardless of age? For instance, if you're in your 30s and you have diabetes, should you assume that you're at higher risk because of the diabetes instead of thinking, oh, I'm young, I'm, you know, I'm not an older person, I'm not in a high-risk group?
1: Yeah, really important because we actually are seeing infections even in young people and actually even seemingly healthy young people, but absolutely, if you have one of these conditions, Even if you're under the high-risk age, you're at higher risk. Now, let me say that your risk depends on how well your condition is under control. Take diabetes, for instance. If your blood sugar and A1C are spot on, your risk is far better than someone whose blood sugar is out of control. So now is not the time to let your blood sugar get out of control. That will suppress your immune system. In fact, I was talking to a diabetes expert, and her feeling is that her patients who have their diabetes under excellent control, she feels that they are at no greater risk. But either way, we need to consider people with diabetes at greater risk. Um, keep, I keep saying that people, everyone needs to exercise caution because I just wanna make it clear that the place where people are likely to get coronavirus, even if they have a chronic medical condition are from people who don't so that's why we all need to be extra careful.
0: That's a very good point. Now is as good a time as any to um, take care of your health and be sure you're taking care of others around you too.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let's talk about older adults, and we've mentioned, of course, it's pretty commonly known that they are uh, seem to be at a higher risk uh, for some reason from from coronavirus. And if you have an elderly family member or a friend, that you either live with or maybe you, you know, take care of them during this time. Um, what, how can people still maintain contact with these folks? Is visiting them out of the question? What about older people who live at home but may need some much extra help with everyday tasks? How can people help these um, older folks in their lives?
1: Yeah, that's a really tough one and something I'm personally having to deal with too because I have a 90-year-old mother who does live alone. That's why I'm taking extra precautions to not come in contact with anyone, because I want to be able to visit her. And who knows exactly how long this will go on. It's going to be, to some degree at least, it's going to be more than the two weeks we keep hearing about. There's no doubt about that. What that exactly means, time will tell. But we absolutely need to be very careful about the potential to spread it to our older relatives because of their increased risk. That's why we see nursing homes and personal care homes have closed their doors. I mean, it's, it's kind of heart-wrenching to see relatives singing happy birthday to their elderly family member who's in the nursing home, but it, through a window. But it's so critical that we do that because we've got to keep the virus out because if it gets in, the risk is huge. And we saw the devastation to the nursing home in Washington State at the beginning of this crisis, so obviously we have to take care of them. So do everything you can to stay free of the virus so that when you have to do errands for them to be in their home, to help take care of them, you do it in a way that's as safe as possible. Of course, wash your hands, disinfect the home before you leave. As hard as it may be, avoid kissing and hugging. Try to stay as often as you can, at least six feet away from each other there are certain things we can do to help minimize the risk as much as possible.
0: And maybe, is this the time to think about, you know, if you, if you don't have to visit these folks for a, you know, a a reason of their health and safety, should you kind of maybe think about taking a pause on those in-person visits and maybe just stick to FaceTime or something like that?
1: That is an ideal situation. If there's any way for you to not be face to face with them or be within six feet of them do that for a short period of time until this outbreak gets under control. If at all possible, that's a much better approach.
0: Okay. Um, I wanna also talk about healthcare workers who are also at high risk as they're on the front lines of taking care of people with this disease. Um, We keep hearing about shortages of protective equipment like masks. Uh, What is the latest on that?
1: It's a serious concern and probably one of the biggest concerns right now. The shortages are already there. Healthcare workers having to use one mask a day, which is not sanitary at all. It's really putting our healthcare workers at significantly higher risk. And here's the thing we haven't even seen a huge influx of patients yet. All of this is in preparation for that. So we're all trying to minimize that by keeping to ourselves. We can starve the virus from its natural course if we don't allow it to hop from person to person. So crucial for people to understand that. We've got to protect our healthcare workers by protecting ourselves and doing everything we can to keep ourselves out of the hospital to minimize that stress on the medical system. Now, the situation is changing daily and hopefully we'll see some impact from the companies ramping up production of masks, et cetera, car companies starting to produce ventilators, you know, people taking it upon themselves to produce masks. You know, unfortunately, as awesome as that is, that will have only a very small impact. And it's just, the problem is far too great, but I still think it's incredibly awesome and praise those kind souls who are devoting their time and energy to doing that. But we, we have to keep ourselves well to help keep our healthcare workers well.
0: I want to play a a clip here from an interview that our chief medical officer, Dr. John White, did uh, last week with the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams. Uh, Let's take a listen.
1: It's important to understand we have diagnostic testing and then we have surveillance testing. And diagnostic testing means looking at the people who are most at risk, most likely to have the disease, people with symptoms and people who are going to be most severely affected. We want to make sure those are the people who are getting tested first and foremost. If you are young, if you are healthy, if you don't have symptoms, you don't need to get a test.
0: Okay. So you're a young, healthy person. You probably don't need a coronavirus test, says the Surgeon General. Um, but who, So who does need a coronavirus test? And if you think you do need one, how would you go about getting it?
1: You know, so as you've heard us repeatedly say, most people have mild symptoms, which is, which is great, but those people don't need to be tested. Stay at home and recover. There's no specific treatment for the virus at this point. You know, research is underway, but at this point, no specific treatment. And like with many other viruses, resting at home and taking care of yourself is the best plan. Now, as far as who should get tested, ultimately, that's a decision your doctor or the hospital will determine based on multiple risks. But the people who should be at the top of that list for testing are those with severe symptoms requiring hospitalization, those with symptoms who fall into a a high-risk group like we've been talking about, such as older adults or those with heart or lung disease, Not just anybody, but those with symptoms who fall into those groups, or someone who has had close contact with someone who is confirmed to have COVID-19. Important that we understand what close contact means. You were less than six feet away, and you had prolonged contact with a confirmed case, meaning you're actually caring for that person. We're not talking about just being in the same room, across the room, at a good distance from them. Now, I have to say, all of this will likely change over time as we have more testing available and more ways to get tested, such as the drive-through testing we've been hearing about. But even with that, you will be screened to see if you need the test based on your symptoms. One day, perhaps, we'll have an at-home test. There's a lot of talk about that these days. There's nothing approved, even though some instances on the internet suggest it is. But as of today, there are no such tests approved by the FDA. So for now, we really need to reserve the test for those who most desperately need it so that we can best help contain the spread.
0: Right, until we increase the capacity of testing and can um, test more people who, who might be showing symptoms.
1: That's right. And, and thankfully, the testing has really ramped up in recent days, but we need more.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Some people have been talking about the concept of herd immunity, as a way to make the virus less potent. Um, Can you describe this concept for us and what is the likelihood that it would help with the spread of coronavirus?
1: All right, so herd immunity, the concept is that if enough people are immune, the virus won't be able to spread easily. even though some initially brought up this idea, thankfully it doesn't appear to be something anyone is depending on to stop the spread of coronavirus because that really could have devastating results. The idea is potentially that enough people get infected, like young people who are much less likely likely to be severely affected, and build up enough immunity overall in the community to stop it. The problem with this is we know that some, even some young people are severely affected, young people with seemingly no risk factors. So honestly, we would lose people, who knows how many people by doing this. It's just not a wise strategy, given how we know this virus behaves. The only effective and really sensible way to achieve herd immunity is through a vaccine, but that's something that unfortunately won't be available for quite some time.
0: Okay, Um, and we'll talk about, I'm glad you raised the vaccine question. We'll talk about that uh, in a couple of minutes, but um, I found this interesting. There are some reports that one early sign of an infection is that you lose your sense of smell or taste. that's really kind of fascinating. Do you do we know if this is a kind of a sure thing that you should be watching for?
1: It is quite intriguing, but it really is a reminder that we've only known about this virus for about 4 months. Coronaviruses have been around for a very long time. We've known about them, but this novel coronavirus is really about 4 months we've had a relationship with it. We know a lot about it already, but not everything. So, in a study of about 200 people in China, they identified that both loss of smell and loss of taste are possible symptoms. You know, earlier a couple of weeks ago, we started hearing more about digestive symptoms could also be a sign. Like, not always is that, a, like
0: upset stomach.
1: Exactly. Nausea. Some people have diarrhea, nausea, loss of appetite. So it's not always those classic respiratory symptoms of fever, cough, and shortness of breath, but for the most part, to be clear, it is those classic symptoms as far as we know. But we're learning more all the time, which the important thing is this will better help us identify people who may be infected so that we can administer the testing where it makes the most sense.
0: Okay, and I'm sure we'll continue to learn much more as as time goes on.
1: Oh, absolutely. Just, you know, we're just getting started with this virus. Much more to come.
0: Certainly. Um, And you mentioned a vaccine a couple of minutes ago. I wanted to see if you can give us some more details on that. We know scientists are working hard on a vaccine. There's a large number of trials, I believe, uh, where they're already trying to test out some possibilities. Um, And there are also antiviral antiviral drugs that scientists are uh, working on as well to treat someone who already is infected. What is the latest on those fronts? Can you give us an update?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, thankfully, research is already underway, which is pretty amazing. Again, we've only had about a four-month relationship with this virus. So they have started early phase one testing, which means the focus is on safety, but of course, they're going to get some other information out of it some very very early results show some possible promise but the vaccine is not going to be what helps us stop this thing because it won't be around for a year or two T- because testing takes time and e- even if they expedite the process we're talking about a year at least and actually that's very fast for development of a new vaccine so people are on it very bright people are making this happen as fast as possible we obviously need to make sure it's safe and effective. We certainly don't want to create new problems with the vaccine. Now, as far as drug treatments, there are several in the works, but none of which we know to actually be effective. In recent days, there's been a lot of talk about hydroxychloroquine, which is a mal- malaria drug also used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, and also azithromycin, known by many as a ZPAC. So we need to understand that any results with these two drugs are extremely preliminary. And most are, no one is actually recommending regular use of these drugs at this time. Now, that'll likely change probably in the near future as we get more experience using them in patients with COVID-19s because they are being clinically tested in trials. But these very early studies show that hydroxychloroquine, or some, peop- some patients may know, them as, may, may know the drug as Plaquenil, that it may help the virus go away faster. So it was tested in about 25 people. Those who took it had a negative test 90% of the time after taking it for six days, compared to 25% of the time for those who did not take it. So it seems to be clearing the virus faster. Great results, but in very few people. When the azithromycin was added, the results were even stronger. So they're being, tested full steam ahead along with some others, but right now we don't have anything that's known to effectively treat the virus. That said, they're already in high demand. There are reports today that probably not for the right reason, that people are getting the drugs. My concern is that people are trying to stockpile them in case they need them in the future, so they're already in short supply, just like the toilet paper.
0: Gosh, that is alarming. It's uh, troubling,
1: yes, troubling, because the people who do actually need it in the clinical trials and elsewhere, hopefully production is going to be able to keep up with the need.
0: Right, not to mention for other medical conditions that people need to take those drugs for, not coronavirus. Exactly. Well, that's good to have those updates on the vaccine and the drugs. We'll certainly keep our eyes open for more news there. Um, I did want to shift, though, to cover a couple of common questions on managing your medical care if you don't have any COVID symptoms. Obviously, people are still going to get sick. They still need to take care of their health, uh, even when coronavirus is um, spreading quickly. So I'm going to give you a scenario, and you can tell me what's best. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. Routine medical or dental checkups, Um, again, this is if you don't have COVID-19 or any symptoms, do you go to your medical checkups? Do you delay? And if you delay, how long?
1: You absolutely delay for now. There's no reason to expose yourself and others for a routine checkup. In fact, actually, most doctor's offices are telling their patients to delay routine care. And as far as dentist offices, most of them across the country are actually closed until this outbreak dies down. So when to reschedule is unknown at this point. I actually had my tooth cleaning was supposed to be tomorrow, but it's been pushed to the end of May now because of the next appointment available. But hopefully we will certainly see doctor's offices and dentist's offices starting to get back to normal. I think our, we may have a, a slightly different normal for a short period of time till we get back to full on normal because we are still going to be dealing with the potential spread, but we will start seeing doctor's offices. The other issue is that we need to reserve medical care for, for, for potential influx of patients with COVID-19. So that's the other reason that to decrease the spread, but also to reserve medical so- resources for those potentially sick patients.
0: Okay, so we can, we can hold off on those for a little while. What yep. about recommended, recommended screenings, like mammograms or colonoscopies? Again, not if you have a specific problem, just a normal test. Do you mm-hmm. go in or do you delay?
1: Absolutely the same, you delay. No need to take the risk, it can wait. Again, actually many hospitals are not even performing those kind of procedures right now. They don't want to use any resources, including we were just talking about the personal protective equipment. You need personal protective equipment for those types of procedures as well we don't want to use them for that. We need to reserve them for the potential influx of COVID-19 patients. So for anything that's absolutely not necessary, we're delaying that. When we'll pick back that, that back up, time will tell.
0: Okay. What about lab tests that your doctor recommends, like blood work?
1: So if it's a critical need, which most blood tests aren't, then you will need to get it, right? They'll make they'll make special accommodations to make sure that getting your blood drawn is as safe as possible. But for routine blood checks, again, it can wait. There's no need to do that right now.
0: Okay. Um, what about when you do have to go to the ER for an injury or allergic reaction? Who knows any number of reasons. What is the right way to stay safe while you're there? Because um, of of course you have to go if it's an emergency situation. Yep. What are some of the things hospitals are doing to make sure you're not gonna be sitting next to someone who has coronavirus uh, in the waiting room?
1: Yeah, so obviously there are certain instances where we still need medical, medical care. Injuries, heart attacks, strokes, life-saving surgery. So to help protect you if you do need to go to the hospital and really to protect themselves and other patients, one of the most important things that healthcare workers need is the ability to quickly and accurately identify those who have COVID-19. Actually, thankfully, just this week, the FDA approved a quick test that gives results in 45 minutes as opposed to the several hours up to 24 hours that it was taking. It should be, that new test should be available by the end of March. That way, these people can be isolated away from everyone else, protecting you and others who require those medical services for whatever reason. But we need to do our part, too, though. So if you think you have symptoms of coronavirus, don't just go to the doctor or the emergency room. Call first. Give them a heads up, and they'll tell you what to do to help prevent from spreading it. That way, hopefully, few of those people with potentially COVID-19 symptoms will be hanging out in the waiting room and can get promptly tested and isolated when they arrive at the emergency room or their doctor's office.
0: We keep hearing about this phrase, flattening the curve. Can you give us some perspective on how all these efforts uh, to flatten that curve, as in the number of, you know, cases that are uh, rising in the U.S. currently, um, how are all these efforts, which are drastically changing a lot of people's lives, really making a
1: difference? It's a really important issue because this is exactly what social distancing can do if we do it right. Most of us are social distancing, but we are dependent on everyone. So in an epidemic, the number of cases and deaths tend to hit a point where they rise rapidly as the infection spreads rapidly. It hits a peak, a high peak. That's the definition of an epidemic. However, if we distance ourselves from each other, the virus can't spread as easily. So whatever peak we hit is much lower and more spread out. Now, Of course, one reason that's very important is far fewer cases And far fewer deaths but the other reason like we were just talking about a few minutes ago is that it prevents us from overwhelming our medical system a system that absolutely would not be able to keep pace with a very high peak of cases and deaths at one time what this means is there's an increasing chance people die because of the medical system not being able to keep up this is why we need to flatten the curve to flatten that peak and decrease our need on medical resources, and obviously save lives.
0: Certainly, even though it is um, <laughs> it is tough to make these changes and you know stay at home and not see family and friends or go about your daily regular daily life, it does make a difference.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's cri- it's critically important. It will be the thing that you know gets us to where we absolutely need to be as a country.
0: Certainly. Um, speaking of staying at home, um, I want to talk about people who are feeling, you know, they don't have any COVID-19 symptoms, but they are stuck at home. How do you take care of your general health during this time? Um, The things we're supposed to do all the time are a lot harder for people to do right now, like getting exercise when your gym is closed or having, you know, access to all the regular kinds of food that you like to eat. But Let's start with exercise. Um, what are your tips on getting enough physical activity when you're just really kind of supposed to be staying in your house?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so very important. We have to gr- get creative. So, you know, like when when I'm in the office, normally I use a standing desk, but I don't have one at home. So yesterday I got creative and used my cat's cat tower as my standing desk, right?
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it that's me, awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was so proud of myself, actually. I. You know, the other thing, in addition to to just ways to work in activity during the day, I also noticed that I wasn't drinking as much water when I was at home, and therefore, I'm actually not getting up as much. So I, I make noticed, sure I... Yeah, yeah you're,
0: I've noticed that too, actually. Right?
1: We talk a lot about sitting disease, and we have ways that we've adjusted to combat that, but I found when I'm at home... I'm reverting back to some old ways. So now I make sure I get plenty of water so that I get up enough to go to the bathroom. I also set my alarm every 30 minutes so that I get up for five minutes. I know you may be busy, but I will tell you, you will be far more productive if you break up your work, work for 25 minutes, get up for five minutes. It's going to make a big difference. Now, as far as exercise, there are a lot of apps out there. We're going to have to get, do things a little bit different. Like one of my favorite apps is actually free for 90 days. There are a lot of amazing companies doing some incredible things out there. Don't forget, most places we can still go outside. We're not confined to our homes. Take a walk around the neighborhood. But if you see someone else, wave at them from afar. Keep on going. Remember, the risk is when you're less than six feet away. So you don't have to completely com- be confined in most places to your home. You know another a couple of other important like healthy strategies. You know stress it's a big one. We all need stress relief right now, and exercise is actually great for that. We know that exercise is particularly good for relieving stress and anxiety, but also deep breathing exercises. I think of that as mini meditation. And you have to turn off the news. That's just too much all day. Find some relaxation time to get your mind off of it. A, A good book or movie or Better yet, play a game with your family. I really do feel like we have the opportunity to grow closer through this, and hopefully some of these family habits that we're starting to incorporate now or that we're building will, will actually last once this is all over.
0: That's so true. You can, it's a chance to take a hard look at your routine and figure out what's really essential and what makes you feel good and what really doesn't. So
1: We are all building new routines, that's for sure. So let's take the good out of that and help it last.
0: That's so true. Um, okay, so how about keeping up good nutrition at home when you might not be used to cooking much or maybe you have a random bunch of canned or frozen ingredients that you got from your last trip to the grocery store?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, here's where you can actually use the power of social media. If you have no idea what to do with the food that you have in your house, put it out to, there to the world. You know, ask for ideas. Let's just say it's canned food. Maybe not something that we typically think of as healthy, but it actually doesn't have to be bad for you. Rinse it off if it has extra sodium on it. If it's not low sodium, frozen vegetables are typically quite good and nutritious. It's still a vegetable and better than a brownie. I mean, I've found in my particular area that seafood and plant-based products are actually quite abundant. I haven't had any issue finding those. So use the, the. I really feel like we can use the power of our community to help us stay on track because your community isn't gone. It's there. But now we have to contact them through social media for something positive. You know, we've seen people getting together on Zoom or FaceTime with family friends, actually cooking together, actually having dinner with their family. Oh, that's a great idea. Like something we don't necessarily actually want to see people eating on camera. But in this case, you actually, you know, put the put the camera at the end of the table and you can all see each other while you're eating and have conversation. I actually created a little uh, happy hour with just a couple of friends that I used to get together with a lot. We were going to do it for an hour and just have some chat. Four hours later, we were still chatting and we realized that it just, it is a great way that was actually quite fun to, to connect with people that way. I mean, it, it really is another way that we should remember this. People don't have to be right next to us to have to stay connected to them.
0: That's so true. I've actually had video conference parties with people that I haven't talked to in a long time. So it's a good opportunity to keep those connections lasting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you, obviously your immune system is of particular focus right now. Everybody wants to make sure that they're staying um, strong in that regard. What can you do to make sure that your body's ability to fight off bacteria and viruses is as strong as it can be
1: so obviously the exercise we just talked about critically important you know do everything you can to just work in some movement every single day fueling your body with nutritious foods as many vegetables as you can even if frozen canned is all you have it's fine a little bit of fruit every day again if it's canned wash off any extra sugar syrup that's on it lean meats to help keep your body strong. Now, I know uh, know that meats tend to be something that might be in short supply now. So look for plant-based products, which still provide you that lean protein because I believe those are in, at least in my area, are more abundant. And load up on herbs and spices. You know, pound for pound, herbs and spices have more antioxidants than any other food. Really wonderful for our immune system. And of course, stress relief. Stress brings down the immune system, and that's where exercise also becomes increasingly important. So take a break from the chaos. Deep breathe. You may have a little extra time on your hands, so start dabbling in meditation. It takes practice, but it's oh so powerful, and it's fun to see what your mind does, where it goes when you try to focus it. Plenty of apps to help guide you, and just have fun with it.
0: Right. And good night's sleep as well, I'm sure.
1: Oh, great point. Sleep, especially there's a lot trying to interfere with that right now. I highly recommend that you maintain whatever your normal day-to-day schedule was. I'm still getting up at 5.30 every morning. Do I really need to? Not exactly, I could sleep in a little bit, but I'm expecting me to get back to that schedule. So I don't want to disrupt my sleep schedule. I've spent years and years creating that. So let's maintain our regular schedule, keep our circadian rhythm on track, eat at the times you used to, go to bed at the times you used to. Keep that regular schedule so you don't disrupt your sleep.
0: All right, good tips. I've got, I'm taking notes over here to <laughs> improve my, improve my uh, social isolation routine. <laughs> um, my last question for you is, I want to go over what people should do if they are feeling sick. Um, what are the symptoms to watch for and when should you call your doctor?
1: Okay, so if your symptoms are mild, stay home like we just talked about, get better, rest, drink plenty of fluids, fuel your body as best you can, and let your body heal itself. Now, if you're having shortness of breath or chest pain, or you're just concerned about your symptoms, call your doctor. But as we talked about, don't go to the office or the emergency room without calling first. That way they can provide you instructions on what to do, prepare for your arrival, If you do have coronavirus, you want to do everything you can, obviously, to prevent spread. Now, if you have one, this is a time where they may suggest you wear a face mask if they suspect that you do have coronavirus. So all of these things are what you want to do if you think you may have coronavirus. Take those preparations so that you don't potentially spread it elsewhere.
0: All right. That is good advice, always good to remember. Can't say that often enough in this, in this critical time.
1: It's the most critical thing we can do.
0: All right, Dr. Michael Smith, thank you so much for the deep dive into uh, coronavirus today. We appreciate it.
1: Great chatting with you.
0: Now for our Tweak of the Week. This time, it comes from Dr. Smith.
1: If you can, make an appointment to donate blood. Blood donation centers have seen big drops in the numbers of blood drives across the country because of the pandemic. But thousands of patients still need transfusions after surgeries or traumatic injuries or because of conditions like sickle cell anemia or cancer. Now, of course, we want to keep social distancing and limiting trips to public places to control coronavirus. But blood centers are stepping up their efforts to ensure donating is safe. Disinfecting surfaces between every donation, increasing the spaces between beds, and checking the temperatures before people give. So if you're healthy and you can give, consider taking the opportunity to make a life-saving blood donation in the next couple of weeks.
0: All right, that's it for this week. We hope everyone is feeling healthy and well and staying safe our news team here at WebMD is doing everything they can to stay on top of the latest updates about the coronavirus. You can find their stories on webmd.com. Also, please check out our social media platforms for even more information on COVID-19 and all aspects of health and wellness, too. And one last thing here, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can keep up with all of our latest episodes. With that, we'll talk to you next time.